You can open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. The book of Philippians. We're in this series called Philippians for You. And uh, you might think that's a generic title. It's not too crafty. But I love it because we believe the Bible, even though it was written thousands of years ago, that it's relevant to our lives today. And so we're talking about Philippians for you. We know that this was a letter written by Paul to the church that he planted in a city called Philippi. And he was writing while he was in prison. We, we understand some themes in this book. It's just, it's just four chapters. And today we're talking about the last chapter in this book. But there's some themes in this book that we understand that the first theme uh, is the word joy. The word joy shows up in this letter 18 different times. And he's saying, you can have joy as a Christ follower in every circumstance. No matter what you go through, this is a distinction of those that are Jesus Christ followers. Followers of the way that they are full of joy even in the middle of your worst nightmare. There's a, there's a second theme, and really, I, I love this. It's, it, this word is written 10 times in this letter, and it's the theme of the mind. The theme of the mind, where we give our attention, where we give our thoughts. And it's important because it's really the key in how we can have joy in every circumstance. And so we're going to Philippians chapter four. Let's start in verse one. We'll read it together all the way through verse nine. Today, we're gonna focus on verses eight and verse nine. But let's start at verse one. It says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. Paul's talking to them because he had, he had uh, reached them. He had helped introduce them to Jesus Christ as their savior. And there's nothing more joyful than when you get to lead somebody to the Lord. And he's saying, you are my joy and crown. Stand firm. They were a persecuted church. If you remember, Paul was in Philippi while he was preaching the name of Jesus. He healed a girl of demonic possession and he was thrown in jail. The same reason they crucified Jesus, they're now throwing these Christ followers in prison. And so this is a persecuted church. He says, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintich to agree in the Lord. So he points out some ladies that are apparently in an argument and there's nothing worse than getting called out that ends up being in the word of God and in eternal document. Now their fight is gonna be known forever. Uh, but he's saying, let's, let's, get this, uh, let's get them to agree. Verse three says, yes, I ask also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. I've been with them. We've labored together for the gospel of Jesus, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. And here's what Pastor Rob taught two weeks ago. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love it. Do not be anxious about anything. It's a command. It says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Before we read 8 and 9, the, these, these uh, statements, do not be anxious about anything, rejoice in the Lord always, beg some questions. The church would have been reading this saying, okay, Paul, we get it. You're, you're pretty cool. You're real strong in your faith. We understand that you can be in prison and you can be singing worship at midnight. And, but not everybody's like you, Paul. Not everybody had the, the Damascus Road experience and got to see Jesus with his own eyes. And so, 
so, so how can I be joyful in every circumstance? That's probably a question that rises up in the Philippian church and also maybe for us today. If you're walking through something difficult, you, you have the question, we get it, Paul, but how can I have this? How can I have joy in every circumstance? Not just that, but how am I supposed to be reasonable with everyone? Because there's a lot of people I love to be unreasonable with if we're being honest. Let's be honest. There are at times some people that we love to be unreasonable with, but he's saying, let your reasonableness be known with everybody. How can I live without anxiety? How can I walk through this life without anxiety? Paul, you're apparently a superhero. We don't, like, we don't get it. How do we do this? How can I give thanks to God when I'm in need of a miracle? And he gives us the keys here. And he's really uh, phrasing, uh, re-saying what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter six. But in verse eight, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, here's the thing, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Think about these things. Think about these things. Today, the title of my message, and really I I think it's the heart of God and what he would say to us today and what I believe he's saying to me is, may I have your attention, please. May I have your attention, please. Let's just pray one more time as we go into this word. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here today and we just We give you our attention in these next few moments. Speak to our hearts. Open our eyes, Lord. Give us the strength to have joy and peace and to live without anxiety in every circumstance. We pray that you, the God of peace, would fill our hearts today no matter what we're facing, no matter what situation or circumstance that's in the room. We pray that the God of peace would fill us up. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Does anybody, you ever think about the good old days? You ever think about the good old days? Man, if we, if we could just go back to the good old days. You heard that before? You're like, what, what are we talking about? Everybody's got different good old days. Do you remember when we didn't live in the age of distraction? Do you remember the days where you could just, you could just use your imagination Anybody with me? Like, remember, I I remember being a kid. I know you might be confused. Just for a second, just go with me. I remember being a kid and I, you could just, I could just use my imagination for hours and hours and hours. I didn't need a bunch of content flooding my mind and flooding my life. I didn't need to be entertained. Somehow I had it within me to entertain myself. You know, I'd go up to my parents and say, I'm, I'm bored. I'm bored. My parents would kick me out of the house, give me a stick, and I would go on this adventure for hours. They'll say, see you at dinner time. And uh, anybody's parent, you had a, like, they had a great whistle, like just a great, just listen for the whistle. That's when dinner is. That's when you get, got to come home. And my dad had an amazing whistle, but we had, we had an imagination. Anybody, you remember the good old days where you didn't have much stress, didn't have much to think about? You could just go off for hours and just play. There's a new thing in today's culture where 
where, where I think we think things are shifting. We think that kids today, uh, that, that, that they don't have much in a, of an imagination, that they've got these short attention spans. But I remember last Christmas giving Christmas gifts to my, uh, my children. And I, if you, maybe you've had this experience, but you give a gift and they open it up and they forget about the toy and they start playing with the box. Anybody had that experience before? And you're like, listen, I need your attention. I've got another gift coming for you. I'm trying to be a good parent. We're trying to shower you with gifts. This is the world we live in. And, and they, they, they don't even want to open the next gift because they love the box of the first gift. I don't know if kids are, are losing their attention spans or their ability to have imagination. What I think is adults, we are losing it. I'm going to prove it to you. You guys ready for this? About to expose the whole room. <laughs> and myself, so don't worry. There's this thing, I was doing, doing some research, and over the last year, uh, on, so I've got an iPhone, and, and uh, maybe you've got an Android or a Google phone or whatever, whatever phone you have, uh, there's a way for you to see the screen time that you spend each and every day and each and every week. Somebody just said, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because your spouse is now going to ask you for your screen time. And uh, they've done some studies, they've done some research, and the average American today, adult, is spending 277 minutes a day on their phone, that their phone is unlocked and open. It includes everything, like navigation and all that, so we'll let you off the hook if you're driving a lot and you got your navigation open. But the average American spends, it's, it, it's four and a half hours a day on their phone. We're not talking iPad. We're not talking TV. We're not talking the billboards that you see. We are inundated with people trying to get our attention, every ad, the way games are built, to try to get you in that thing for as long as possible, and it's working. We are glued to this thing. The average, the average person will, will pick up their phone and, and unlock it 77 times a day. 77, you, you can't be off your phone for 10 minutes. That's the average. I looked at mine, I'm just gonna let you know, and before you judge me, you check your own stats. In the last seven days, I had my phone open with everything, whether it was apps, it was emails, it was messages, it was YouTube, it was navigation. 30 hours in the last seven days, that's below average. But that's, that's almost a work week on my phone. This is what we're dealing with today. It's not the kids that are having problem and we gotta protect their screen time. Maybe we should, but it's the adults. And so we're talking about our attention. God is saying to us today from Philippians chapter four, may I have your attention, please? And there's three realities about our attention that we're going to talk about in just the next few moments. Three realities that we need to understand. And the first one is the cultural reality. There is a war happening for your attention. It's now how businesses are operating. Anybody that's trying to sell anything, they understand before they can sell you something, they need to get your attention. In fact, there's a business leader, his name's Gary Vaynerchuk, and he's a consultant to some of the greatest companies, the biggest companies all around the world, and this is how he's teaching these businesses. He says, we are living through the biggest cultural shift of communication in our society. It's for our attention. Before you can tell me how great your service is, how great your book is, how great you are at helping me find the right policy, how great your restaurant is, you have to get my attention. 
The one thing we all trade on, it's the currency, is attention. Attention is the number one asset because before you can storytell, you need one's attention. Our society's collective attention is shifting at a speed we've never seen before. Not since the transition of people sitting and listening to the radio and the invention of the television have we seen the collective attention of our society shift into a different platform. He said the smartphone is the single most important device in our society. And I'm not trying to bring any any level of guilt or shame. I'm just trying to bring awareness to what we are living in. This is a cultural reality. This has never been more widely known in, in marketing and more expertly executed to get our attention where we are spending our brain space. We are thinking beings. We are constantly thinking. Our attention is always going a certain direction. Are we aware of it? It used to be said that you are the average of your five closest friends, but today you'll see five best friends sitting together and on their phones. It's no longer the average of five best friends. You are the average of the content that you allow into your soul and your spirit into your mind. Better said, you are the average of where you direct your attention. And our God is saying, you want to live without worry and without fear and without anxiety? There's a war after your attention. How about we think about the good things? God's saying, may I have your attention, please? Because he's got the answer. He's got the solution. We live in this cultural reality, but not just that. There's a physical reality and benefits to where, and also consequences to where we direct our attention. There's a, a Christian scientist, she's a, 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 a neuroscientist, and she, she talks about some of the research in, in how we direct our attention and how it can change our, our feelings and our physical well-being. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf. This is the physical reality. Maybe you've heard of her. But she says, breakthrough neuroscientific research is confirming daily what we've instinctively knew all along. We've, we've, kind of, we've kind of known it, but now science is proving it. What you are thinking every moment of every day becomes a physical reality in your brain and in your body, which affects your optimal mental and physical health. These thoughts collectively form your attitude which is your state of mind. And it is your attitude and not your DNA that determines much of the quality of life. Paul's writing in prison, full of joy, full of joy. Second Timothy 1, 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. God wants to give you a sound mind and he wants to remove the fear in your life. Romans 12 verse two says, do not be conformed to this world. How do we do that? How do we not become conformed to this world, but be transformed? You wanna be transformed? Here's how you do it, by the renewal of your mind. What are we thinking about? I almost titled the message, get, get your head out of the gutter. I need it too, I need it too. I thought, may I have your attention please, a little nicer. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Here's the deal. Your thoughts, positive or negative, good or bad, control your attitudes. Your attitudes are the sum total of your thoughts. Your thoughts lead to actions and your actions eventually lead to the life that you lead. The way you think will direct your life. 
And out there, again, it's widely known. And so they are getting your attention so that they can direct your life. There's not just a cultural reality, not just a physical reality, but there is a spiritual reality in regards to your attention. A spiritual reality. Having the mind of Christ. We're called to have the mind of Christ. Not just a mind like Christ, but because he lives in us. The spirit of Jesus lives inside of us. We can have the mind of Christ. Paul's saying, listen, you don't, it's not just for certain people. You give your life to Jesus and you now are given the ability to direct your attention, which will change your thoughts, your feelings, and will lead your life. He's saying, focus on the right things. There's a spiritual reality that there's an enemy out there trying to derail your life, trying to destroy your life. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. There's a spiritual reality in where we direct our thoughts and our attention. 1 Corinthians 2.16, another letter to the church in Corinth from Paul. He wrote, for who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him. We can't instruct Christ, but, but here's what's cool is, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Side note here, when you give your life to Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't start working on you to make you bad to a little bit better or good to maybe, maybe just a little bit of an upgrade. You are in the process by the Spirit of God being perfected. This is a journey of perfection. And we won't get there till we make it to heaven. But we're not just hope, just little incremental upgrades. We are going for perfection. So, so it matters in how we live. We need to look different. We need to think different. We need to speak different. It, it, it starts and stems from the way we direct our attention. C.S. Lewis said, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, perfection is where he's taking you. Oswald Chambers said this, the true expression of Christian character is not in good doing. It's not about the good doing, but in God likeness. If the spirit of God has transformed you within, you will exhibit divine characteristics in your life. Not just good human characteristics. God's life in us expresses itself as God's life, not as human life trying to be godly. He transforms us by the renewing of our mind. Proverbs 23, verse 7. It's a lot of scripture, but I, I, I love it. We love the Bible, amen? Verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As we think, it's who we become. As we think, it's who we become. As he thinks in his heart. In the Old Testament, the word heart was written 800 times. 200 of those actually meant your thoughts, how you think, your heart. Where is your heart, your passions? It has to do with your mind. Proverbs 4, 23, 25, and 27 says, so above all, this is pretty important when Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, says, so above all, above all, Guard the affections of your heart, your mind, for they affect, that all, they, they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellsprings of life. I wonder how good we're doing at protecting our innermost being. And it has to do with where we direct our attention and what we allow into our lives. Set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose, looking straight ahead and ignore life's distractions. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked for even a moment to take the detour that leads to darkness. Let's keep our eyes fixed 
on Jesus. There's an old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. The things of this world will grow strangely dim. And even in my own life and preparing for this weekend's message, I just been asking myself, have I allowed the distractions of life, the distractions of life to grow brighter than the voice of God and the word of God in my life? And let's refocus. Let's give God our attention and his word, our attention, everything that we have, because it matters. It's gonna help you live distinctly different than anybody in this world that doesn't know Jesus. And they're gonna know that you're living different. There's a different way, there's a different countenance that you have, a different attitude that you have, a different spirit, a different joy. They might know the, the struggle that you're walking through, but because of how you carry yourself, because of the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, they will know there's something different. And just like Jesus, he was different. The people didn't run away from him. The people flocked towards him. The people will notice how you're living and they will come towards you. They'll say, there's something different about you that you have that I don't. And it matters. It stems from how we think. Jim Collins, business leader says, we live in a cacophonous age, swarming insects of noise and interruption buzzing about. Emails, texts, messages, cable news, advertisements, cell phones, meetings, wireless web connections, social media posts. We run the risk of waking up at the end of every year having accomplished little of significance. Each year slipping by in a flurry of activity pointing to nowhere. He's just talking to leaders. This has nothing to do with spiritual, but, but, but it actually translates. He says, leaders can and indeed must be disciplined people who create a quiet space for disciplined thought. Create a quiet place for disciplined thought and summon the strength for disciplined action. Levi Lusco said, you can't have a quiet soul without quiet time. You want a quiet soul? You want that God, the God of peace in your life? You have to create time for disciplined thought. Paul said, look, look what you've learned and seen in me. Practice these things. You can practice thinking about good things. There's a spiritual reality. And so back to the list that Paul teaches us before we close. He says, think about these things. The things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. That word true, many things present themselves as true in this life, but they're actually deceptive. Promising what they can never deliver. You want to know what will deliver every time? The words of God. Want to know what will deliver every time? Jesus Christ. He will never let you down. Honorable. What it really means is that that which has the dignity of holiness upon it is what you're thinking about honorable. Almost like it has holiness upon it. You might think, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Not that big of a deal. You know, my mind, you know, my mind's crazy. Somebody, somebody said, my mind's like a dark neighborhood. I don't want to go in alone. <laughs> but let's think about the things that are honorable. Am I right? The things that are honorable, just. The temptation is to set our minds on pleasure, comfort, and the easy road, but the Christ follower sets their mind on doing the call of God on their life, no matter how difficult or uncomfortable. Pure, it means to think on things that are so cleansed that they are fit to enter the presence of God. 
is what you think about and the way that you think about your job, your family, people that annoy you, the things that are inundating your life, the busyness, how you handle certain roadblocks in this life and struggles. Is it fit to enter the presence of God? Would you be comfortable with God knowing everything that you think about? Side note, he already knows. Is how you think about your situation. Are you able to bring that into the presence of God? And he wants to give you the power to do that. The things that are lovely. Let's not think about vengeance or criticism or rebuke or bitterness or fear. Let's think about the things that are lovely. The things that are commendable. This translates to fair speaking. It has to do with words that you're thinking that you might later leak out. So what you're thinking about and how you think you might respond and you're fantasizing how you're going to blow up on somebody. Maybe you don't do that. Let's not do that. Let's think about what's God, what's God, how does he want me to respond? How does he, what does he want me to say? Before I lose it, before I think about this, before I dwell on this, what's he saying in this situation? Commendable, fair speaking. An excellent could be described as an excellent tool. What if we thought about every situation, everything that's flowing through our mind as if we are the tool that God wants to use? Are we thinking in a way that sets us up to be an excellent tool for God to use and things that are worthy of praise? The only thing worthy of praise is Jesus Christ and what he's done in our lives. I've been at this campus right here for the last 10 months and I've seen God do the miraculous. In the last 10 months, I've seen God answer prayer. I've seen God heal. I've seen God do what seems to be the impossible. I'd love for us to just stand as we get ready to close this service. I've seen God heal um, anxiety. I've seen God heal tumors. Tumors gone miraculously before the surgery happened. I've seen God heal cancer. I've seen God bring prodigal children home. Children giving their lives to Jesus, rededicating their lives to the Lord after parents are praying. I've seen God restore marriages just in the last 10 months. And so what are we gonna think about? Are we gonna think about the roadblocks? Are we gonna think about the challenge? Or are we gonna think about what we sang today? If he did it before, he can do it again. Does anybody believe that the God we read about in the Bible, that if he did it before, he can do it again? What are we thinking about? God is saying to us today, may I have your attention, please. Let's just close our eyes. Let's focus on the things of God right now. Just even begin in your own mind. Begin to think of the goodness of God, where he's shown up before. David wrote, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Think about who you were before Jesus and who you are now. And not just that, because you know Jesus, think about where you're going. You might be going through something tough right now, but you get to spend eternity in the presence of God, with God, perfected, not just better, but perfected. You get to spend eternity in the presence of our Savior, full of joy with no more pain, no more tears, no more hurting. This is our future. And what will we think about? The trouble that we have in this vapor of a life, or will we think about the goodness of God? And the promise is that the peace of God in this moment on this earth will flood our hearts and flood our minds. Jesus, we need you today. We need you today. Fill us up. Forgive us for our distractions. We are in control of where we direct our attention. And I pray that you would help us not just on a Sunday morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the week in every single moment that we would be focused on you.
that everything that comes into our mind would be worthy of your presence. We invite you into our hearts and in our mind. Transform us, renew our minds. In Jesus' name.